God's word says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this proverb before tonight. Raise your hand. Yes, it's probably one of the most well-known ones, and that's I picked it for a reason. I wanted us to reflect on a familiar proverb and taste it, see it afresh with, with new eyes. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This proverb gets at something that's very basic to our Christian lives. It gets at something that we can't do without. Let me phrase it as a question. What changes us? What changes you? What do we need in order to change. Let me share a story. Just a few weeks ago, it was, it was the middle of the night and it was my night to be on with the kids. Becky and I take turns and it was my night to be on. And that meant that if, any, if either of our kids needed anything, I was, I was the point person. One of our children was up multiple times throughout the night. It was a difficult night. And I'd like to say, I'd like to say that as a father, I was, I was the model father. Patient, kind, gentle throughout the night. But I wasn't. I really wasn't. And halfway through the night, my patience snapped. And I was impatient. I was angry. I spoke harsh words. It's not the first time I've been impatient as a father. How do, how do I change? How do I change? Now, you might not relate to the specifics of that story. Maybe you're not parenting children throughout the night right now. Maybe you are. But you can relate to my, you can relate to my heart. You can relate to what was going on in my heart. The, the selfishness, I'm not getting what I want. You are in the, you're in my way. You can relate to speaking harsh, unkind, uncaring words. We all can relate to that. So how do we change? That's just one example of this Daily dynamic in the Christian life. How do we change? How, how do impatient people become patient? How do we change? Well, the Bible gives us many answers. There are many good, true answers to that question. But one of the answers is found here in this proverb. What changes us? As we'll see, wise friends. Wise friends change us. The proverb starts off, iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. Now, does anyone here have experience with metalworking? Yeah? Anyone? A few people. Yeah. Yeah. So, even if we, even if we don't, we understand the basic mechanics of sharpening something. We, we sharpen pencils, right? We sharpen lawnmower blades or take them somewhere to get them sharpened. We... Sharpen kitchen knives, perhaps. So it draws on a familiar image. And listen to how Isaiah describes this process. The book of Isaiah says, The ironsmith takes a cutting tool, whatever that is, a cutting tool, and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers. So you see the image there. The ironsmith is working something over the coals. That, that tool is red hot, it's soft, and it's dull. And on the other hand, he's taking his hammer and sharpening it. That's, that's potentially the image being drawn out here. 
But at this time in history, people also knew of sharpening stones or wet stones. When I was growing up, I had a wood carving set and uh, a bunch of different knives with different angles to those knives. And I also had a whetstone. And occasionally I used that whetstone to sharpen my knives. So whatever the primary image here, you see, you see the point. What is, what is needed to sharpen iron? What's needed? Well, there's a lot of Play-Doh in our house right now. Play-Doh won't do it. Play-Doh won't sharpen anything. Wood won't sharpen iron. Uh, sponges, they won't sharpen iron. No, to sharpen iron, something hard is needed. Iron sharpens iron. And what wisdom can we draw from this? The proverb goes on to say, Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. How does one person sharpen another? How does that happen? Here it seems that sharpening is a metaphor for dialogue. Conversation, words, constructive criticism is what makes a person better. Elsewhere in scripture, the tongue or the mouth is described as a sharp sword. And here it seems like that's the, that's the general sense, but in a positive light, not a negative light. These, these sharp words aren't tearing, they're building up. The sharpening is a good thing, not a bad thing. So wise, or yes, wise people. Wise people encourage others. They challenge others. One man, one woman sharpens another. So these people coach each other. They counsel, they instruct, they advise, they rebuke. And this persistent, firm hammering is what makes another person sharp. It makes another person grow or change or mature or become like Christ. Now, if you have your Bible, take a look at your footnote. Actually, my, my copy doesn't have footnotes. Uh, tonight, the one, at, the one in my study does. If you have one that has footnotes, take a look. Your footnote might say something like, uh, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the face of another. Sharpens the face of another. Now, that's actually a play on words. It's, it's a pun. The edge of a sword can be called the face of a sword. Ecclesiastes speaks about sharpening the edge, literally sharpening the face of a sword. So there's a play on words here. And think about it. We can see a lot on our faces, can't we? On our expressions, our countenances. We can see a lot. It's almost like sometimes you can see pride or smugness on someone's face. It's almost like you can see it. You can see other things like fear, discouragement, grief. And what happens when someone sharpens us? What happens when someone speaks a timely word, encouraging, rebuking, convicting? Often, our expressions change. Our countenances change. A friend's rebuke turns my pride to humility, and you might see it in my face. A fearful countenance becomes a countenance of peace. One person sharpens the face of another. So this proverb pictures a wise friend. A wise, good, true friend is someone who sharpens. And this is what we all need. This is the kind of friend we all need if we're going to grow, if we're going to change. Let me go back to my earlier story. Thankfully, I have many wise friends in my life. And one of those wise friends is my wife. 
And she called me out, and I'm thankful for it. She spoke to me later and said, hey, we need to have a conversation about this. And we did. And she said, look, this is, I heard what you said, and it's not right. And she was correct. So in that moment, she was a wise friend. I think I've thanked her for it. If not, um, I will. But in that moment, she was, she was a wise friend. She rebuked me. This was iron sharpening iron. Well, all friends are like this, right? All friends are these wise, good, true friends. Well, no, they're not. We all know that by experience. We also know that from the scriptures, even in the context of this proverb. If you were here last time, I preached on a a proverb just from a few verses earlier that started off, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice. You might remember that from a few weeks ago. Well, I explained that that's actually a picture of a a fawning, flattering, self-serving person. It's a picture of someone who's saying what you want to hear. That kind of friend won't sharpen anyone. If you have your Bible, look at the immediately uh, prior verses. Verses 15 and 16. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife, wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. So right before our verse, there's a picture of someone like a continual dripping on a rainy, on a rainy day. So some friends are quarrelsome, argumentative, cantankerous. And once again, friends like that won't change anyone. We can look elsewhere in scriptures, in in the scriptures for both positive and negative examples. Uh, We don't have time to look at all of them tonight, but recently I've read through 1 Kings. And listen to this from 1 Kings chapter 1. The context is King David is old, but he's still on the throne. Uh, Listen to this. Now Adonijah, David's son, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Now listen to this. His father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? That's King David. His father had never at any time displeased him, saying, Why have you done thus and so? Adonijah needed his father to rebuke him, to sharpen him. But David didn't. Here, in this context, he was a foolish father. And his folly, his foolishness proved to be the death of his son. It did not end well for Adonijah. Scripture is filled with these examples. Foolish friends, wise friends. So we see many examples as we look at Scripture in our own lives. Each one of us could share tonight how God has used wise friends to sharpen us, how foolish friends have hurt us. Well, let's turn the focus to ourselves and ask this question. Let's look at ourselves and ask, to what extent are we this wise friend? To what extent am I the person described in this proverb? Are we like sponges? Uh, Never hurting anyone, but never helping anyone either. You know, a sponge, just giving and taking. Is that what we're like? Are we like a sword? A sword that cuts and destroys and tears down. Or are we like the hammer, 
the whetstone that is sharpening the people around us? What would other people honestly say about us? To what extent are we this wise friend? We could also ask this. To what extent are we seeking out these wise friends? Are we seeking them out? Do we humbly recognize our need for others to sharpen us? This is another way of simply saying, do we live, do we actually live like we're needy? That we need others in our lives. Do we live like that? As we all know, individualism is a really powerful current in our culture. Individualism. Our culture prizes the individual, the ability to make yourself, the ability to do it yourself. But the Bible tells us that wisdom is a community project. It's a community effort. This proverb doesn't say, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens himself. It doesn't say that. So one man sharpens another. And of course, it's, it's true that we change. It's true that you change. It's, it's true that we need to walk the path of wisdom. I can't walk the path of wisdom for you. You can't walk it for me. It's, it's true that we need to walk it. But this proverb is saying that the path of wisdom must be walked with others. We have to go hand in hand with others. To what extent are we living like we really, really need others to sharpen us? Like all Proverbs, this proverb should convict us of our sin. It should, should convict us of sin. This, when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about self-help. Something fluffy and, and um, something like that. We're, we're talking about wisdom and folly. And in, and in the Bible, that's, that's serious business. The wise man, what did he do? He built his house upon the rock. The foolish man... Built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the floods came up, and only one house stood firm. So in the end, wisdom is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Does that make sense? This wisdom is our life. It's our life. It's not just, oh yeah, take it or leave it advice or self-help found at the bookstore. This This is important stuff. Before coming to Christ, how does the Bible describe us? Paul writes in his letter to Titus, he says, We ourselves were once foolish. We were once foolish. So think about those wisdom and and folly categories. He says, before Christ, we were foolish. That's who we were. And that means that we were foolish friends. Does the world have an answer to our foolishness? Does it have an answer to our folly? Two millennia ago, Plutarch said, at least I think he said, uh, it's a long time ago, <laughs> he said, I don't need a friend who changes when I change and who nods when I nod. My shadow does that much better. You hear that? I don't need a friend who changes when I change and who nods when I nod. My shadow does that much better. He's basically saying that he needs someone in his life to sharpen him. Sounds a lot like this proverb, doesn't it? Think about the world's wisdom. Is that can, that, can that solve the problem for us? On the surface, it sounds similar, but when we look deeper, when we press the wisdom of this world, 
it always, um, it never satisfies. It always shows its bankruptcy, its foolishness at the core. According to the world, if you think about it, according to the world, how do you know what's sharp? How do you know what's sharp? How can the world know what's sharp when a worldview suppresses the true triune God? When a worldview tries to squeeze God out of its out of its sights, the one who defines what's right and wrong. When people suppress God, the one who defines what's good, what's wise, how can you know what's sharp? How can you know right from wrong? What what are you left with? One person will say that's right, and someone else will say that's wrong. I mean, at the end of the day, this is why someone will go out and shoot people and say that it's good. Like, if you carry it far enough, this is where, this is where it goes. This is the world's wisdom. A godless world leaves us with a definition of friendship that, in the end, will really damn us. The world can't give us the answer. I think this quote from Jim Morrison of The Doors, I think this really captures the folly. Um, This quote from him says, A friend is someone who gives you total freedom to be yourself. A friend is someone who gives you total freedom to be yourself. And we're not talking about someone that you can just feel comfortable with. Total freedom to be yourself. Well, what if, the pro- what if one of the problems is ourselves? What if it's not just out there, but it's in here, when we are slaves to our own sin? Total freedom to be ourselves won't help us in the end. It won't save us in the end. We ourselves were once foolish, and this is who we all once were. This is who we were. We were once drop-dead fools. That's, that's who we were. But praise God for Jesus. Jesus, the truest, best friend of sinners, as we celebrate here at Proclamation again and again. We have a Savior who died for us. We have a Savior who died for fools. The best friend dying for people who who didn't deserve it, who didn't desire it. That's our Savior. We have a Savior who makes us new. A Savior who remade us by His Spirit. He has turned our stony, foolish hearts into beating hearts of flesh. We are his saints. So, so to some extent, each one of us here as a Christian can say, I'm no longer the fool I once was. No, I'm a saint. I am wise. Not only that, but our Savior is making us better. No one here tonight would say that we have arrived. We haven't. One day we will, but that day is yet to come. And Christ, in the meantime, is slowly but surely sharpening us. He is the friend who is making us into his image. Counselor David Pallison once wrote, Those for whom he died, he lives to remake. Those for whom Christ died, he lives to remake. So that means that now, exalted in glory, Christ lives doing a lot. But one of those things that he's doing is remaking us in his image. He's committed to that work. As a hymn puts it really well, he died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. Christ died not only to save us from our sins, but to make us good, 
to make us wise. He is the wise friend of whom all other wise friends are a good, beautiful reflection. He is the wise friend who is sharpening and sanctifying us, you and me, and he will finish this good work. So if you think about it, this is simply but gloriously, this is the gospel through the lens of a proverb on friendship. That's what this is. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the goodness of Jesus that we sang about earlier, the goodness of Jesus seen through the lens of a proverb on friendship, wise friendship. And this wisdom, the wisdom of this proverb, like all of them, guides our Christian living today, tonight, this week. This is what we need. It helps us. What changes us? One answer is found right here in this proverb. Lots of things change us. But one of them is right here. Wise friends change us. Pallison says, Godly growth is most frequently mediated through the gifts and graces of brothers and sisters in Christ. Godly growth is most frequently mediated through us. One another. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The more you grow, the more you realize how other people and the gathered church matter. That's true in my experience. As I've grown, I've come to appreciate more and more the church, God's people. And I have a lot of room to grow. But I see God doing that in me. So the gathered church, that's preeminently the gathered gathered people uh, for worship. That's preeminently what that is. And if we're going to change, we need this. We need gathered worship. But think of... Think with me about the other activities of our church. Think with me about community groups, men's prayer, women's Bible studies. Think about retreats, fellowship lunches, Sunday school, that time between Sunday school and the service, that fellowship time. None of those things, if you think about it, none of those things are required by God in His Word. You won't find chapter and verse that says you must go to a community group. You just won't. They're extras in that sense. But that doesn't mean that those things aren't important. All of those things are on-ramps. They are pathways. They are opportunities for God's people to get together and sharpen each other. That's what they are. We, we as a church, are providing on-ramps for, for you to sharpen me and for me to sharpen you. That's what those things are community groups and men's prayer and, and all of those things. And we can attest. Again, we could share. We can share testimonies of how God has used these activities of the church to make us like Christ. So if we want to be sharpened, and if you want to sharpen others, then take advantage of these opportunities. We need them if we're going to grow as Christians. Take advantage of them. Continue taking advantage of them. I know that Knowing so many of you, I know that you are involved in these things. And I trust that you are growing through them in one way or another. So thank God for the people in your life who are sharpening you. Thank God. Thank God for them. Consider who you can sharpen and what that might look like. What could that look like? What does it look like now in my life? How, How can I grow in that? And humbly receive the sharpening of others. Not only that, look forward to the day when we will see our Savior face to face. 
iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens the face of another? Well, on that day, when we see Christ, we will find that we have been made like Him at last. Amen.